0: Hello, River West Church. Good morning. Two things. First, if I had recorded this sermon two short days ago, you would be staring at one of the worst mustaches of all time. I was sported a mustache for the past month or so. In that time, my children lost any respect that they had left for me. It's gone now, and you are welcome. Second, I just want you to know, that I love you. And I speak for our whole pastoral team when I say that. And I'm excited to be with you this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Daniel 6. We have been looking into the life of Daniel for a couple months now. We've seen a few snapshots. Really, it's just been a few key moments in his life. But, but we could describe them as, to use Malcolm Gladwell's term, tipping points. Not just in his life but in the life of the nation that he lived in and even God's people and redemptive history. These are important moments where God used this man starting as a young, um, courageous and brave uh, man, um, growing him up into an old man who is wise and faithful and steady. And as as it turns out, and we'll see this this morning, he's actually just as courageous as he's ever been. So Daniel 6 is the story of the lion's den. Now this story, it transcends culture and age. You've even got non-Bible readers who would say, yeah, no, I've heard of that story about the guy in the lion's den and he makes it out. I think for a lot of Christians, myself included, it's actually really rare for us To read a passage like this because we just assume, I know what's what's happening, I know what the outcome is, but what I want to invite you to this morning is is what I want to call, I I believe, a holy moment where we could um, sit and read and listen to God's word in this great story, this great narrative of the life of Daniel together. And I think as we do that, I really believe that God's spirit is speaking to us through the word. So before we read, I, I would just want to make a couple of things uh, clear before we start. This is, in many ways, the last recorded event of Daniel's life. If this is a biography, or in this case, an autobiography, this is the final chapter. If it's a movie, this is sort of the final scene of his life, the last words on a life that's well lived. Yes, there's several other chapters, um, A few more chapters after chapter 6 in Daniel. But those are mainly the visions and dreams that Daniel had regarding uh, God's people's life in exile and the prophetic implications for that and and really for the whole world. But here we have in Daniel 6 these final words. Now, we started this chapter last week where we saw Daniel yet again rise to prominence under a new kingdom and a new regime because of his faithfulness, because of his wisdom, because of his excellence. He's just really good at what he does. And so he rises in prominence and there are other leaders um, in the kingdom who grow jealous of of his success and so they plot a, a trap for him. By convincing the king to create a law or a decree that demanded that everyone pray to King Darius and no other. So we pick our story up in verse 10. This is immediately after Daniel has heard this decree. This is what is said. This is one of my favorite verses, verse 10, one of my favorite verses in the whole story of Daniel. We'll read from that on to uh, verse 23. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his Lord's that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Trust. A few months ago, at the beginning of what I guess we're call now the COVID era, our pastoral team was sitting in a circle. Um, this is when like social distance was a term that was brand new. We're sitting in a circle, spread out from each other, trying to figure out what what is God calling us to do as as a church community right now, and just reflecting personally on on our own lives. And I, and I I'll never forget. Chris, who's one of our pastors, one of my closest friends, was sharing with us about his experience as a father. And I remember him saying this. He, he said, at the end of this trial, when I, when I think of my, my, my boys, my kids, he said, my desire is that they would look back on, on the way that I acted in this time and say this above anything else. The dad trusted God in that moment through that trial trust you know when we look at Daniel's life we're witnessing a life of faithfulness he's humble and yet courageous he respects authority and and yet he calls out injustice and corruption when he sees it in leaders he's excellent and steadfast in everything that he does in his work but at the end of the story he ensures that his reader knows that he's not the hero of the story He ensures that his reader knows that even his own faithfulness reached a limit. So the last word on Daniel's life is not his character or his faithfulness, but trust. You know, the headline for this sermon, I'll just spell it out for you right now, is this, Daniel trusted in the only God that saves. It's a simple truth, but has profound implications for us. And this story that we're in today, it's, it's a story about that reality that only God can save. Now, Daniel is in a trial that will take him to the end of himself, to where the only thing left that he has is God and God alone. And to understand really how dire the situation is, how complex it is, how how challenging it is. We actually need to dive a little bit deeper into the story and even a little bit into history and cultural context. Yes, I can feel the collective yawn even through the screen, but um, it's important that we understand a few things about this time and place. And In particular, it's important that we understand something about ancient law, particularly Babylonian and medo Persian law. Now, here's the deal. In the previous chapters of Daniel, just stay with me on this. We see him interacting with the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, under the reality of Babylonian law. Now, Something that we need to know about Babylonian law is that the king is above the law. He can change laws. He can make a law in one moment and in the next moment, change it. Change his mind. Say, yeah, I made this decree, but now I'm over it. We're moving on to something else. But the Babylonian empire has been overtaken. And now King Darius is in charge and he rules under what is known as medo Persian law. Now listen, in medo Persian law, the king is not over the law, but under it. So if a king makes a law or a decree He can't actually revoke it. He can't change his mind a few days later or a few moments later. Now, the reason that's important, I think, even for me personally, as I've been thinking about this story, is I've always struggled with why the king makes this law and why can't he just change his mind? Why can't he just say, you know what, I I didn't mean it. It's obvious that he respects Daniel. It's obvious that he wants him on his leadership team. In fact, he wants him to be the captain of his leadership team but he's unable to change this law that he has made. He's duped by these other religious leaders. And in verse 14 and 15, we dive back into the story and we, we, we get a sense of the anguish that he's feeling. We don't necessarily see the anguish that Daniel's feeling, more on that later, but we see the anguish that the king is experiencing. In verse 14, it says, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind To deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Now, what's happening, I think if we read imaginatively, we can imagine that the king has made this decree. He's realized that it is going to put one of his most trusted employees um, into a death sentence. And so I imagine he calls in the lawmakers, the lawyers, the judges of his day, and he's searching all day for a loophole. Is there a way that we can get out of this? Is there a way that this, this law could be revoked? And even as that's happening, we're told that these corrupt leaders who duped him in the first place come back in and, and they say, essentially this, they say, King, you know how this works. You know that nothing can change the law that you have made. And so the, th- the king, I, I really believe, is, is reluctant as he casts Daniel into the lion's den. A while back, we saw the, the, the fiery furnace story. And the king is furious and he's angry. And out of that anger, he sends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. But here it's different. Darius is sorrowful. He can't believe this happened. But the law Is the law. Now, the reason why all this is is said, there's a point to this. The reason why we need to understand this is because the reader is supposed to catch on to this reality. Daniel is completely and utterly reliant on God, the only God who saves. Now, there's one provision in the text. So what is happening in, uh, to Daniel, what this sentence, what this punishment is, is what in the ancient Near East is, is called a trial by ordeal. Now, it's common for criminals or suspected criminals to be um, punished by being thrown into a lake or thrown into a river. Now, if they die, then they're guilty. If they live, they're innocent. And so Daniel, what's happening is, is something like that. He's thrown into the lion's den, not forever, but to see if he will survive. If he survives the night, he's innocent, he'd be set free. But if he's killed, he'd be pronounced guilty as charged. And so Daniel, is, is, is this, this, he, he's set into the lion's den and we're told that the king is fasting throughout the night, that he's praying it's, it's a strange thing that the, the king can't sleep. He's fasting. We don't really know. Is he praying to the God of Israel? He's just, he, he doesn't know what to do. So he spends a night in anguish, longing that Daniel would survive the night. And so in the morning, he rushes out to the den. The stone is rolled away and he calls out. He says, Daniel, did your God, the living God, deliver you? And we know the story. We know that he did. So was Daniel blameless? Yes. Was he faithful? Yes. Did he deserve any of this? No. But none of that is really the point of this deliverance story. The point is trust. Daniel trusted the only God that could save him. Now, every snapshot we get of Daniel's life is a trial where trust is revealed. And I think that if we read carefully and imaginatively through this narrative, we hear, we actually hear in the midst of Daniel's life, in his captivity, in the indoctrination attempts, in the chaos, in the political instability, with unpredictable and unjust leaders, kingdoms rising and falling What we hear is the God of the universe, the only God who who saves. And he's whispering this question into the noise. Will you trust me? Daniel, will you trust me? So yes, to faithfulness. Yes, to steadiness and wisdom and obedience. All of these things mark the people of God. But the ultimate question, I believe, that God speaks and I would argue whispers into his life and mine and yours is this question. Will you trust me? This question rings out through the scriptures in the garden. When the tempter comes to deceive Eve and Adam, what, is, what does he do? He plays on this theme of trust. He says, you can't trust God. When Abraham is called out by God at an old age and God declares this to him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you, through your line. Abraham says, I'm an old man. My wife is barren. This is impossible. What is the question that rings out in that story? Will you trust me? How about Moses? Moses called out by God to step into Egypt and be the agent of God's deliverance of his people. Moses has a million excuses why God should pick someone else. But here's the question again, will you trust me? Jesus, when he calls his first disciples, what is he asking them? He's asking them, will you entrust your whole life to me? Now, I believe wholeheartedly that that same question rings through the noise of our current moment. In this moment where it, it seems at times that nobody can agree on anything, but I think everybody can agree that this moment doesn't make sense. The Spirit of God would say to his people, will you trust me? But the city of Portland is in utter chaos. I get texts from my college friends saying, Are you safe? The Spirit of God would say, Will you trust me? Perhaps you're thinking, I'm afraid of the virus, either what it could do to me or somebody I love. Spirit of God says to us today, Will you trust me? Many are fearing of, of their job. What about this business that I've built? What's going to happen to our economy? Spirit of God says, will you trust me? My, my current fear is this. It's a reality, actually. I suck at homeschooling and that's what we're doing. Spirit of God would say, will you trust me? I love these words from Timothy Keller. He says, trust is accepting what God sends into your life, whether you understand it or not. And you know, I really hope that each one of you are connected in community right now. Whether that is in a physical house church where you're gathered. Perhaps you're connected to a few close friends that you see. Um, maybe that's just on the phone or Zoom, FaceTime, wh- whatever. I hope you're not walking through this moment alone. I'm in a Bible study with some of our young adult guys. We meet on Wednesday mornings. We are looking at the book of Hebrews together. Now Hebrews is a letter or perhaps a sermon that's given to young believers that are struggling. Um, they're being persecuted in ways that we could not possibly imagine. And God is speaking truth into their life. God is encouraging them to remain steadfast. And so as a small community of, of, of guys, we, we read this together and we, we think aloud about what God is saying and we want to learn and, and pray into what we're, what we're reading and, Just a a few weeks ago, one of my friends from from the group, his name's Ben, uh, said this to us. He He said, just think about this, guys. God entrusted us to live and follow Jesus at this very moment in history. God actually entrusted us. We could have grown up in any era. We grew up in this one. We're living now in this one. And God has entrusted us with this moment so that we could show the world what it looks like to trust him. Here's the truth. We don't know if life will go back to normal. We don't know what the tomorrow holds. But here's what we do know. We will never get this moment back to entrust our lives to the only God who saves what if at the end of the COVID era, that's what was spoken about you? This one trusted God. I, I don't think it's morbid to, to, to think about this, but I'll, so I'll say it anyways. What if the eulogy read at the end of your life as people that love you gather, what if that eulogy was read and it said, the most important thing you need to know about him or her is that they trusted in the only God who saves. Now just imagine that. Daniel ensures that those are the last words spoken about him. It's not his um, heroic nature. It's not even his character or faithfulness. We see all these things and we learn from him, but he insists that we know he trusted God. And that was everything. I want to make a couple observations about trust as we as we land the plane today the first is this trust is a spiritual battle the scriptures tell us that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces at work in our world so here's something just interesting to think about what happens in Daniel's life in the lion's den is almost inconsequential if trust is a spiritual battle I would argue that the battle to trust God was actually won back in verse 10 when Daniel hears this decree that says you can't pray to anyone other than the king and he, in an act of trust, goes about his regular practice of saying, "No, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep trusting my God. Trust is a spiritual battle. In the first century, many Christians died martyr deaths by being thrown into the lion's den and they weren't delivered physically, but spiritually they were. Trust is a spiritual battle. And the second thing I want to say about trust is that trust is learned. You know, I I struggle with the end of chapter six. I even thought to Adam, like, I don't actually want to read the end of this story. And he's like, you got to do it. So so I want to read to you the end of of Daniel chapter 6. We stopped in verse 23. And I want to just read verses 24 through the end and and make an observation about what, what we see. In verse 24, this is after Daniel has been delivered. It's been declared that he trusts in God. These words are said. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree, I make a law, that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. It's, at least for me, it's actually kind of tough to read. Daniel is saved, but then these corrupt leaders, and not just them, but their families, are thrown into the lion's den. And then what we have is a king who makes it a law that everyone must trust Daniel's God. And it's a confusing kind of ending. The scriptures don't really necessarily speak positively about what happens at the end. But here's something that I believe is true. You can't legislate trust. You can't force someone into it. You have to learn it. Daniel, it was actually commanded of him that he not trust God, but he said, no, I'm going to learn a different way. You can't command trust. you, You learn it. What happens in moments like the the moment that we're in right now is we come face to face with this reality. We're actually not in control of our lives. We're actually not in control of our families, of our relationships. We're not in control of our city and our nation or the world. That is an an ever-present reality, but that bears heavy on our hearts and our minds right now. And the king's... In, in Daniels, they, they interact, they encounter God and they try to make a law saying, here's the new law, trust God. But Daniel says, hey, there's a different way. You learn to trust, you practice trust and you live it out through a life of faithfulness and a life of faithfulness cultivates a heart of trust. So three practices for you as we learn to trust because we know it's it's a lifetime but we're learning it together the first is this it's simple all of these simple prayer i think we could say a lot about prayer certainly much more i've never met someone who prays too much i've never finished a day and thought you know i i, I wasted too much time in prayer daniel we see has this regular practice of Three times a day, let's consider just morning, noon, and night. He, he goes and he prays and he gives thanks and he places his trust in God. I think in this moment, because of the endless barrage of news and announcements that we experience and changes and things like that, I actually think that three times a day may not be enough. So personally, I've been trying to practice what is called breath prayer. Now, this is not a wacky or weird thing. Every single person who's watching this is breathing, okay? So this isn't weirdo stuff, but it's breath prayer. So breathe in deeply. And as you breathe in, say or think something that's true about God. As you breathe in, maybe say God Almighty. And as you breathe out, say or think, I trust you. Perhaps throughout the day, breathe in, Lord Jesus. And as you exhale, save me. I'll share this with you about prayer. The Hebrew word that's used for trust in this passage and other passages in Daniel is the, is the word aman. And the word aman is where we get the word amen. So the most common way to end prayer in the world is trust. Amen. In Jesus' name, we trust. The second is this. It's fasting. Fasting is is one of the key practices in Daniel's life. And I don't know if you noticed, but in the story, the king actually fasts. Earlier in Daniel, in, in the earlier chapters, he abstains from, from certain kinds of foods, a form of a fast. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is fasting on behalf of the nation. Earlier in our service, you heard about a day of fasting that's, that's coming up. I want to encourage you to be a part of that, to participate in that. There'll be more to come about that in the next few weeks. This is me personally. I'll just share personally. I, I meet regularly with my mentor. It's just a wonderful man who loves God, who loves me, challenges me. Recently, we met, and and the theme was trust, because the angst in my own life is, um, is often feels louder than trust or gratitude. And he, and he challenged me. He says, "Eric, I'm going to challenge you to fast regularly as an act of trust in God." And so, so I've and there, there's no spiritual superiority in this. There's no legalism in this. It's just a a brother challenging another one to, to learn trust in this way. And so I've committed to doing that one day a week from dinner on one night to dinner the next to fast and to pray. One of um, doing this project with one of the pastors on our team who will remain nameless. And we're going to learn together how to feed on God's word and to pray that we would see God's deliverance in our lives and in our time. The third is this, and it's where we're headed. It's communion. I think the communion is one of the greatest acts of trust that we could do. So one of the things in, in, in Daniel, and we've said this before, but it's important, is that Daniel is, is what's called a type of Christ. That's a thing in the Bible. Okay, so Daniel is a type of, tr- of Christ. So Daniel lives a faithful life, But in reality, it actually paled in comparison to the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus. Daniel was plotted against by political and religious leaders of his day. And the religious leaders of Jesus's day plotted against his own life as well. Daniel was sentenced to death. The lion's den was sealed with a stone, but he was delivered. He didn't die. And he lived more years in faithfulness to God, but later on died. Jesus was sentenced to death, crucified, actually died, was laid in a tomb that was also sealed with a stone and he rose from the grave on the third day. And he sits at the right hand of God and will rule for eternity. When we remind ourselves of that story, it's an act of trust. We're following Jesus. Jesus, one of his closest friends said this about his savior and Lord in closing. One of his best friends, Peter, said this, First Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, listen to this, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So each week when we gather, we take the bread and the cup and we follow Jesus in the way of trust. It's not ideal the way that we're doing this. It's not ideal that I'm standing in field right now and not with you, but, but it's where we're at right now. But we continue to practice these things that help cultivate trust in our hearts. And worshiping through communion is one of the ways that we do that. But before we take communion together, I wanna invite you to sing, to worship, and to put your trust in the one true King, King Jesus.